You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. This episode is brought to you by Podiumware. Podiumware is a manufacturer of custom team cycling apparel, and all products that they make are proudly made in St. Paul, Minnesota. Something that's really cool is that they are the new national sponsor of NICA's Mountain Bike League, and they are committed to helping to expand high school mountain biking across the country. You can get more information about Podiumware over at podiumware.com. And I will personally vouch for Podiumware because they made the mountain bike radio kits this year uh, that we just placed an order a couple months ago, and we have ongoing order. So if you're interested in that, you can head over to gooutdoorsapparel.com. I will put a link in the show notes for that so you can go over and see what the mountain bike radio kits look like. But thank you to Podiumware for sponsoring this episode. And again, head over to podiumware.com for more information. Check out what they have to offer, prices, and everything right there. Now enjoy this episode of Just Riding Along. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by Not the Crickets on the Porch and Not the Crickets on the Porch again. Uh, we have a couple of donations and one listener question that were two listener questions we're going to go over quickly, um, and we're going to do our very best to keep things short and sweet, much like Kenny's hands. Um, <laughs> much like what? Hold on, I missed that. Short and sweet, much like Kenny's hands. Oh yeah, he's got pretty hands. That's it. I don't really have anything to cover for the week. I thought I was going to do something today, and I didn't do it. Oh, I can talk about something that I do with uh, Superfan Jake. Oh, you said you didn't have anything, and then you were going to start talking. Sorry, go back. No, I meant go for it. I don't. Yeah. I don't have yeah. anything. I don't have anything um, happy or fun to share from this week. That's so sad. So on Saturday, is this family friendly, Andrea? Yes. Okay. It is. Um, it is not mountain biker friendly because most mountain bikers hate hike a bike. I mean, I don't hate it. It's not my favorite thing in the world. I would rather ride than hike, but it kind of depends on what the reward is for the hike. Um, Jake, super fan Jake, um, he wanted to do a section of trail that would allow you to do a loop. Uh, to make a loop out of a trail called Jones Pass. And it is a trail um, kind of in the Winter Park area of Colorado uh, where uh, it takes you up to the Continental Divide and then you can take a trail back down called Herman Gulch. And a lot of people apparently shuttle this. Um, but there is a trail that goes from Herman Gulch back to Empire, which is close to Jones Pass. It's within riding distance, so you could make it into like a rectangle. And uh, basically, he wanted to ride this trail called Bard Creek, and it is 100% legal and open to mountain bikes. It is 100% a hiking trail. Um, it is incredibly steep, uh, incredibly narrow, uh, lots and lots and lots of rocks and just stuff that I'm, I'm sure some people who are a little more fit than either one of us could ride a little bit more of, but not much. Um, just really not a whole lot. It, out of the 15 miles that we covered, I'm not exaggerating when I say that we probably hiked seven miles of it. Um, we had a runner pass us and put time on us. Uh, and she was like jogging, hiking, like she wasn't, you know, like full sprint, like just running as fast as she could. Like she, she caught up to us and she kept on going and eventually she came back up, up the trail. She was just doing an out and back, but you know, she like caught us past us and like put some time on us and then went, went back. Um, so it was, it was a, a character building experience, but after just, um, I don't know. I, I haven't paid attention to like the elevation profile, but after just a couple of like two or three miles, um, we were above tree line and we stayed above tree line for most of the time. So it was just beautiful, high elevation, alpine, uh, you know, cairn hunting. Like this trail is so remote that 
in a lot of places, like kind of at the, the tops of these ridges and stuff, like we were just Karen hunting. Like we were, you would literally like stand by a rock pile that, you know, someone had made as a trail marker and just look around for the next one of those because there was no trail on the ground. Um, so it was, it was super, super, super gorgeous. It was, um, I mean, it was beautiful and I, you know, I enjoyed it. I don't know if I want to do it again. Um, it would be one of those things where if I really wanted to do that loop, I would probably do something like what the Arizona trail race people do. And just when I got to the Bard Creek trail, I would just put my bike on my back and just start hiking and it would not be any slower and it would be a lot more comfortable. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that was my adventure on Saturday. It was awesome. I'm, I'm going to do a blog post tomorrow and put, uh, put some good photos up that I took. That's my story. Awesome. Yeah. It was great. I love all the stuff like up above tree line and it almost always like you can't really, unless you're riding like Mount Evans or like a road ride, there's not, they're not a whole lot of over the tree line um, mountain bike rides that you do that don't involve at least some hike a bike, you know, they're just, that's what you have to do to get up there. It's nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess there's Rollins Pass, but that's still like, that's a gravel road and it's also railroad grade. So it never really goes above like 3% grade the whole way up. Uh, what about you? You had anything cool? Um, nothing too crazy as far as new stuff going on. I will be in Ogden, Utah. Uh, so I'm not sure when everybody's going to hear this episode. Uh, but it's currently Monday. I will be out there on Wednesday. Cool. So I'll be checking out the 2017 Cannondale stuff. So Cannondale is nice enough to uh, fly me out there and uh, check out all the new stuff. Rad. Yeah. What's, so, do you know? Do you have any idea yet? Like, what's new and exciting? Like, what kind of stuff uh, are you gonna get to ride? Yeah, there's a Super Six Evo disc. I'll definitely ride that. And the I actually haven't ridden it outside of the parking lot. We have one built at the shop, but the uh, it'd be nice to ride one off road. The new scalpel, 2017 scalpel. Yeah. So it's definitely redesigned. Uh, still a single pivot bike, which is a bummer, but uh, I'm sure it still rides pretty nice because it's pretty light, and uh, I'm sure it's got a lot of damping on that rear shock. So yeah. that'll be cool, and I'm sure I'd li- I'll spend some time if they have one available because I haven't really ridden one very much, a 27.5-plus full suspension, and I'm sure a 27.5-plus hardtail and all that kind of good jazz. So uh, Bad Habit, Beast of the East, The Habit, all those bikes. You gonna ride that slate? I'll probably ride the slate. I've ridden one in a parking lot, but definitely not. I don't know what. Uh, so they have road on one day and mountain on another day, uh-huh. and I don't know where the slate's gonna come in there. Because I mean, the, to ride the slate to get a good idea, you really need to ride it on gravel, in my opinion. And yeah, maybe they might have a venue for that. I have no idea. I'll just have to let you guys know. So I will have a update on. I may or may not do a show. We'll just have to see. Yeah. Um, or well, I might not be included because I will be in uh, in Salt Lake or in Park City at the time, and I just don't know what the internet and all that stuff's going to be like. So yeah. we can always get uh, we can get Clayton back or get Amanda on here or something. Cool, but I'll try my best. We'll just see what happens, and uh, I'm not sure what all I'm allowed to talk about. We'll just have to see. I think I can talk about it all because that's secret. No, I think they basically on the first day of the little like camp or whatever they have. I think that's like. I think that's the end of the embargo on all the new details on stuff, but I could be wrong on that. I have no idea. So I'm sure I'll find out uh, when uh, when I'm out there on Wednesday. So, yep, other than that, I will be doing that. And what else do I have going on? So I'm going to take a week vacation after that. I'm going to stay in Park City and ride Big Mountain stuff. Yeah. And it'll be cool. So I got two friends uh, from Memphis coming with me, and we're going to hang out with Jeff and go do a bunch of mountain biking, basically. So it'll be cool. And we got uh, – um, I rented a Pivot 429 SL and a Pivot 429 Trail. Fun. So I'll ride I'll ride both of those back-to-back and, and be able to talk about those a little bit. And Because, again, outside of one of my customer bikes that I work on a lot, I've never ridden one off-road, so – I will let you know what I think about those because I rode, I've ridden these same trails on my Jet Nine, 
when I brought it out there last year. So I'll be able to have at least somewhat of a comparison. Yeah. Uh, what else? I think um, we like also the, rented. I don't know about the trail because I haven't ridden that, but I I have back to back ridden like the well the Jet Nine Carbon and the Pivot Four Two Nine, and I I do like the Pivot better, and not just because it's like cool. new bike itis, but you know I just think that it's a uh, it's like the back end's a little stiffer. Yeah, it sure looks it, and I think it's also a little bit shorter. The original Jet had a fairly long set of chainstays, uh, so. Yeah, pretty much anything is an improvement on the chainstays of the original Jet, and that's one one reason why, like the new Jets are are pretty cool because they have you know the boot spacing and then hence much shorter chainstays and all that kind of stuff. So that's pretty cool, and there's a possibility. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I think we're going to rent uh, Santa Cruz V10 carbons and do some downhill. <laughs> that's so red. So that'll be <laughs> that'll be super cool. That's it. Man, I've I've always wanted to try a downhill bike. Like full gear, like put on all of the protective gear and like get on a downhill bike and probably do like the exact same shit that I do now, but just a little bit faster and like giggling a little bit more. I don't yeah, think I mean I would to be do honest, you know, Yeah, I mean we're all comfortable with the same stuff. I would say that like on a downhill bike I would definitely do much larger drops. I'm very comfortable with drops. I'm not a great I'm not a great jumper, like the stuff that really throws you that has a lip. Uh-huh. I'm okay at it, but I'm not great at it. Uh, and I, So I wouldn't hit any of those any harder, I don't think, on a full suspension. Or sorry, on a uh, downhill bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but drops, I'm super, super comfortable with drops. Yeah. And that's. I feel like I'm more limited, I mean, obviously by my skill uh, and not having a dropper, but also just by the travel of the bike. If I was on a giant 10-inch travel bike, I would take all the drops. <laughs> So we'll see. Hopefully I'll find some cool like wooden platform drops that I can do on that. That'll be cool. And yeah, we'll see how that goes. I, I learned how to do the uh at Valmont Bike Park, there's a drop that is and, and I, I say this without exaggerating because I know like people are always like, Oh, it's like an eight foot drop and it's like waist high. And it's, <laughs> it's like yeah, a, people always exaggerate. Yeah, it's like a three to four foot drop. Like it's definitely high enough that if you're not going fast enough and you do it wrong, like, you will... Like, someone actually said, after I did it a few times, he's like, hey... I was like, man, that's the first time I've done that. Or that's the biggest drop I've ever done. And he's like, I've seen more people hurt themselves on that than any other thing out here. Because it's, like, the first one that you would do. Exactly. It's the smallest one that you can do that you have to do right. Not many people are going to hurt themselves on 10-foot drops because they're probably pretty comfortable with drops at that point. Exactly. Yeah, it's the it's the three footer, four footer, yeah. where people are going to get seriously hurt. <laughs> exactly, but I've I've done it uh, many times now, and I'm I'm really stoked about it. Now I'm actually trying to nail the jump right after it, um, because the drop like there's a really awesome fast bermed left turn into it, but yeah. then the the like the structure itself that you drop off of is probably two and a half feet wide. And so I get like a little bit freaked out that I'm on something tall and narrow. Yeah. <clears throat> so I actually like I I don't go as fast through that turn as I can. I mean, I'm going plenty fast to like get over the drop. You know, but I but I'm definitely like not going fast enough like every time I case the jump after it. Like every single time. Like the people at Valmont probably see me and they're like, "God damn it, we're going to have to like put some more dirt up there and pack it back down." but it's uh it's fun matt's looking at memes on instagram show enough he's he is bored with this conversation (laughs) no i did let i let one of my coworkers borrow the mach 6 and she took it to the the winter park like downhill stuff and she had an awesome that's awesome yeah she's cool she's really rad she's it's my coworker's name is Amanda. And there was this dude who bought a Trek 920, which is essentially their their Tour Divide bike. Um, it's like a yeah. drop bar mountain bike. And sure. uh, he came in to pick it up, and all he like I heard him say Amanda at least like she was off work when he came to pick it up, and I I heard him say Amanda at least fifteen times. Like he was just like, I'm going to talk to Amanda about this, and I, I've got to. 
when Amanda's back, I'm going to talk to her about this and this, Amanda and Amanda and Amanda. And it was, after he left, everyone's like, oh my God. He's like, I read her blog and she knows everything about bikepacking. And she's done, she has, like, she's done a ton of bikepacking and it's all really cool. But it, it was just funny because the guy just had like this super, super crush on her. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, do we want to go into our question? We got them donations. Oh, yeah, them donations. Mike D. from Nevada. Whoa. Gave $50. $50. Al Damn. C. from Texas. And I normally wouldn't <laughs> give his last name, but he's got a good one. Guy's name is Al Kaholic from Texas. Sent in $5. <laughs> Thanks, And Al. Nikki D. from the U.K. sent in $10. I have no idea what the pound conversion oh, is. Oh, man. Like, did he send us 10 pounds? Like, enough pounds? No, I'm sure he bought an American product, which was the support the show. And then at checkout, he was converted his 10 U.S. dollars purchase into some other form of currency and paid that way. He well, may it's have not the euro with, anymore, right? He may have man, paid well, they've money. never uh, they never were the euro. So, yeah, the pound's hurting now on that Brexit. <laughs> Damn. So, so he probably paid like five hundred pounds to give us ten dollars. <laughs> no, no, it it used to, the pound was trading well, well over the dollar. Like at some point there, it was kind of hanging around. I think maybe a dollar and a half uh, per pound, and uh-huh. now I think it's like one to one, which oh, is okay. definitely a huge a huge hit compared to what it was. I could be wrong on that, but I think it's somewhere in that ballpark. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, uh, what's our question? Should we should we do that? I know we usually have a million questions and we can't answer them it's all. It's like but, as soon uh, as we said we can't answer everyone's question, people just stopped asking us questions. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> so um, Andy sends in another question. Andy from Missouri says, thanks for the input a few weeks on building up the felt frame my kids. It turned out great. Send pictures. Um, yeah. He says, I have a 2013 Cannondale... CAD X Tiger that is rim brake. I ride it on pavement, gravel, and bike paths when the single track here in Kansas City area is too wet to ride. Wait, Kansas? Oh, Kansas City, Missouri. Not Kansas City, Kansas. Those are both things, right? Yeah. I believe so, yes. Fuck, it's all terrible. Is it actually a city? Everything inside of Kansas is bad. Is is it actually a city? Uh, Kansas has some very scenic Thinking of upgrading the drivetrain, everything but the cranks, to 105 or Ultegra 11 speed. I always ride on the hoods and never in the drops as it just isn't comfortable for me. When I upgrade the drivetrain, I'm thinking of changing it from drop bars to a mountain bike flat bar for more comfort. Here are the questions. Oh, boy. Um, Can I use XT mountain bike shifters with Ultegra front and rear derailleur? Can I get decent rim brake mountain bike levers anymore? Could I run 3450 chain rings in an 1132 cassette with a medium cage derailleur? Is there anything else that I'm missing? Thanks for any input you provide. Uh, they make a they make a Shimano Road flat bar shifter. Yeah, Aww. so I mean, I, I would say first and foremost, putting a flat bar on a uh, cross bike is not going to end super well because, in general, not always, but in general. Um, Cross bikes have much shorter effective top tubes than mountain bikes. So you'd have to run like a redonkulous long stem and it would handle all kinds of funky and then you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. That's my, that's my input. I mean, you can do it, but your geometry is going to be off by like over an inch. And that's kind of a big deal on a bike. Especially since he says this is a 51 centimeter bike. Um, yeah, oh that's, shit. I, I mean, mean that's, that's a so pretty tall. I don't know how tall Andy is, but I'm like That would be like an extra 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 small 26er mountain bike effective top tube. It sounds like what Andy needs to do is sell his Canada Cad X and buy a Canada Quick in that like $1000 price range. Yeah. Yeah. You could get a yeah. baller ass Quick for that much. Or well, you can well, wait, you can get a 2017 Disc Quick or any other brand Disc um, hybrid bike and it's going to be way cheaper and it's going to fit you way better. Yeah. And then let's run through these things. XT mountain bike shifters with one Oh five or, or one of XT mountain shifters with Shimano derailleurs. No, that, um, that stopped with nine speed. Correct. Correct. Can I get decent rim brake mountain bike levers anymore? Of course. Um, mountain bike is long pull. The problem is you wouldn't want to use mountain bike levers on your cantilever brakes. You'd want to use short pull flat bar levers for that. Um, 
because you don't want the same. So a road shifter brake lever combo. And if anyone says briffer, I'm going to murder them. Um, <laughs> those have a different capable ratio than a mountain bike, uh, brake lever would. So you need to use a road specific flat bar brake lever. Um, his next question is, can I run 5034 rings with an 1132 cassette? Um, using a medium cage derailleur. Yes, definitely. It's on the limit, but you can. Yeah, it should work just fine. It, it does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think you guys are right. You should sell this bike and get like a super nice hybrid bike. Yep. Cause then you're going to put not only more money into this bike, and in fact, a lot of money into this bike to do some drivetrain kind of stuff, which at the end of the day, I don't really know what that's going to get you. Uh, and then the flat bar is not going to fit you quite right. And yeah, it's just going to be really goofy. So I mean, I mean you got to understand was... it's hard to explain. Well, it's actually not that hard to explain. Basically, if you look at the stem on a road bike, it's generally, you know, for the most part, say 10, 20 mil longer than your average mountain bike. So there's that. And the next thing you got is you've got the reach of your uh, of your drop handlebar forward, which is going to be what's the average reach of a compact bar? Eight centimeters. Yeah. And then you've got another four centimeters or so to the hood. So you're talking about from the stem position. That's you know even if it's already longer on the road bike, say it's 20 mil longer, then you've got an extra 10 or 10 to 12 centimeters, which is a huge distance made up by the hoods now granted that's not a hundred percent accurate comparison because your body position changes when you have your arms out front in that hood position that's definitely different than you having your hands 90 degrees to that uh in the flat bar position but granted still the reach is all fucked up like it just doesn't work uh yeah i mean if you had a bike that was like two sizes too big for you like that might work i mean it just wouldn't it, it wouldn't suck as badly as what you're planning on doing yeah, so for me, uh, I ride a, I'd ride like a 54 road bike pretty solidly. And if I was given like a 60 centimeter road bike and I could actually get the saddle down low enough and I just had to make it work, the way I would make that work is probably put a flat bar on it. Yeah. And that would be, that's like a six centimeter too large of a bike. Would They're be so twitchy. Would be comfortable for me with a 100 mil stem yeah. and a flat bar. Yeah, you should just get a bike that's made to have a flat so, bar if you want yes, a flat bar. Yes, buy, buy a bark, buy a bike, buy a bark, uh, buy a bike that is made for a flat bar. I have this conversation with customers all the time about road bikes uh, and then putting clip-on aero bars on them. And same thing, hey, I've got a hybrid bike and I want to put clip-on aero bars on them. And I tell people no all the time. I mean, hey, I love telling people no. I think it's one of my it's one of the, <laughs> my favorite things to do. Uh, but it just doesn't work. I mean, people don't understand just how damn short a TT bike is in the effective top tube area. I mean, it's ungodly short and there's a reason why <laughs> because yeah. it's designed to be in the aero bars. Uh, so it just doesn't work on a road bike even, you know, so a road bike, you know, the absolute think the absolute shortest thing you can really have is a TT bike. And then the next step up is going to be a road bike. And then the next step up, as far as effective top tube is concerned, uh, the next step up is going to be like a hybrid and the next step up is going to be a mountain bike. Um, so that's just, that's how it works. So when you start trying to change bars in those things, it just, you end up with this terrible machine. So please don't do it. But if he's going to, he should run all SRAM stuff front and rear and be done with it. Yeah, you can mix and max, match the uh, SRAM. Well, no, it's just that... Now, they make, they make flat bar shifters for uh, Shimano... No, but why would you... If and 11-speed, I believe, for the road stuff. So, if he goes to 11-speed, he's going to have to buy new wheels, because his wheels don't have an 11-speed free hub. So, what yes. he really needs to do is stay 10-speed and use yes. the new SRAM GX. It's the cheapest stuff available, and it's going to work great. Yep, you could do that. Uh, but just also keep in mind, if if you're... If you're looking to do weird fuckery, uh, you can do uh, – Shimano does make flat bar shifters that are road 10 and road 11 speed compatible. So, yeah, I mean that's really for the person that wants to run like 
what you'd call, I don't know, like a fast hybrid bike. So think maybe, I don't know, carbon frame, 28 mil tires, uh, but it's designed around a flat bar and you want to run that little bit tighter, a little bit taller road gearing. So you'd run two by 11 like Shimano and you can run flat bar shifters with that. And they do make them. I don't remember exactly what they're called, to be honest. Maybe Alphine, maybe they might just just be, okay, they might also just be called like a number of some kind of random non-series number. But anyway, I have seen them. I know they exist. But there's such a rare, weird niche bike that that would actually use those flat bar shifters. So anyway, just know that they're out there, but I think you just need to buy another bike. Yep. Boom. And speaking of buying other bikes, Mike D. from Vegas says, God, who would live in Las Vegas? Mike D. Uh, Hey, guys, I'm a self-taught home mechanic, so all the tech tips are great. I am 50 years old, 6 feet tall, 200 pounds intermediate rider. One of my current rides is a hardtail single speed with a 27.5 by 2.8 tire on a scraper rim and a Chris King single speed hub. It rides great on the Vegas dirt trails. I want a carbon full suspension 27.5 plus size tire bike. I've narrowed it down to a Rocky Mountain Pipeline or the new Jet 9 Niner Jet 9 Plus, the $5,000 one. I like that the Niner has a threaded bottom bracket and don't really like how the pipeline is press fit. The pipeline has the Ride 9 system that interests me due to my size. It's so complicated. Any ideas on what the pros and cons between the two rides would be? P.S. Irrelevant, but I like the orange paint jobs they both offer. Okay, first off, that Ride 9 thing, like it has at least for too many positions like it's so incredibly like micro adjustable that like you i don't think that so it's like if you imagine a square with an eccentric square inside of it and the bolt um that pivot bolt that you're adjusting the position of is mounted like it goes through that eccentric square um you could have that system without the extra square in the middle, and I think it would make more sense. Um, so it's just a little, it's a lot of parts. And I know that um, the one mechanic at our shop who has, who has ridden Rocky Mountain some, like I watched him rebuild the suspension once, and it was a freaking nightmare. Um, so just based on those things, um, I don't think the Ride 9 system is a huge selling point. Um, and the Niner is definitely going to be easier maintenance wise. Um, so I'm a little foggy. Does he, he doesn't know if he wants hardtail or full suspension, but he definitely wants 27 and a half plus. No, is he's that on the a deal? hardtail 27, five plus now. So he knows he wants full suspension. Oh, okay. I didn't, plus. I didn't realize that. Okay. What that, does he say what he has? That's actually 27 and a half plus, or is it like well, a backyard conversion job? That's thing? the problem. He just says hardtail single speed. He says hardtail single speed twenty seven point five by two point eight on a scraper. So it's it's not. So it's probably a ghetto setup. Yes, it okay. definitely is. Okay. Well, I mean that's fine. Whatever. It's neither here nor there. Um, also, I just want to throw other stuff out there that's compatible. The pivot uh, four twenty nine trail is compatible. The Santa Cruz Tallboy three is three inch compatible. Uh, he's already mentioned the Jet 9 uh, is compatible. You can do the Cannondale. Um, so, I mean, you got you got a bunch of options. Yeah. I'm um, just throwing out other options. I know that's not very helpful, but... Yeah, that's... And we can talk, like, we should bring up the conversation we had earlier about 27.5 plus full suspension bikes. Because, Kenny, you had a video... Yeah, so what I'd like to, uh, we'll get Ben to put this link out there. I watched this video in its entirety, and it was really cool because they were very good to not, it wasn't marketing bullshit. And yes, it was a slightly subjective test, but honestly, that's kind of, you know, hey, that's the world that we live in. Uh, Now, the neat thing about it. So so let me interject here. The unfortunate part is there's, it's impossible to run a blind or double blind study in this. So it's always going to be subjective. Because you're, what they, I actually like the, uh, I like the angle that they took because the riders are going to have more fun and be faster on bikes that they like. <clears throat> so what they did is, and it wasn't a complete, hey, here's four categories, four exact bikes, and we had ten different people all ride these bikes. It wasn't one of those. It was a, hey, here's a whole bunch of bikes that we have here. 
you know, they provided like, I don't know, 10 or 20 bikes or who knows. And people were allowed to bring their own bikes and all kinds of shit. And they basically got these really, really, really fast riders. Uh, so this is a really cool, um, really cool video where they've got pro riders like Steve Pete and some enduro people. And unfortunately, I'm not familiar with their names, but they're obviously watching the videos of them ride their badasses. Uh, men, women, they've got the whole crew of people. And they let them kind of ride whatever they want to ride. So Steve Pete, of course, rides his 27.5-inch downhill bike and crushes everybody. And the course is, like, mostly downhill, uh, kind of enduro-like, but definitely, I would almost say, more towards, like, a downhill trail. Definitely not World Cup-like uh, craziness, but it was pretty gnarly. Uh, regardless, it, it seemed to be like an enduro bike fit, without a doubt. And then a whole bunch of people, like almost everybody, rode the enduro 27.5 regular wheel bike. So I don't know what tires. They could run whatever tires they wanted. It was up to them whatever pressures they wanted, whatever suspension settings they wanted. But the, the kind of most common denominator bike was a maybe 140, 150 mil travel, probably 2.2 to 2.4 inch tire uh, enduro bike. And, you know, so think Bronson, all that kind of stuff. Mach 6. Yeah, Mach 6 from Pivot, the Bronson from Santa Cruz, and a whole bunch of bikes like that. There, was, there were those Yetis thrown in there. They're super popular. Uh, but they anyway, break. <laughs> they probably did not on camera, but anyway, uh, they rode those bikes. They rode some long travel 29. They rode some hundred mil travel 29s. Uh, they were all full suspension. I believe I don't think they did any hardtails cause that would be silly. Uh, what else did they do? Oh, and of course they did 27 and a half plus full suspension in a few different models. I think Santa Cruz was one of them. I, so maybe the, Possibly the tall boy. It might have been a high tower at the time because I don't think the uh, I don't think the tall boy was out when this video was made. I think it was made maybe in May. Uh, so anyway, really bunch of riders, bunch of different bikes. They let the riders do what they wanted to get comfortable, and the general consensus was the from I, what I gathered. They didn't actually come out and say, "Hey, this is what we think." You have to kind of watch the video and you have to make your own interpretations. But it's very obvious by the way that the riders presented their experience, you could really tell what they liked and what they didn't like. And almost all the riders liked the regular kind of cookie cutter enduro bike. So 27 and a half inch, pretty long travel, but modern bikes, you know, carbon wheels, carbon frame. I mean, it's a, they're all modern bikes that they're on. Uh, everybody liked those bikes. They said they felt fun and engaging and active and all that good stuff. Uh, but the interesting thing was almost every rider was faster on the clock down the run on the 29 inch kind of longest travel bike. So think the brand slash. Yeah. And think the new, uh, the new jet nine, which is now, uh, longer travel. Uh, and like the, I'm sorry, that's really not the rip nine is what I meant to say, which replaces the WFO, uh, like the long travel, 140 mil travel, 29 er like a Yeti four five or a Yeti five, five. Yeah. (laughs) More people were faster on those bikes than they were the 27.5, but not everybody, interestingly enough. And what it goes to show you is a lot of things that we've all discussed before is you're going to be fastest on the bike that you're most comfortable on. So, for example, Steve Pete, was mo- he was the fastest on his downhill 27.5-inch super long travel ridiculous rig because, well, he's Steve Pete. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, he's, he's a badass. And I believe, and I'll have to watch the video again, but I believe that his – I think that his slowest time on his slowest bike was faster than the other next fastest person of the whole group of like 20 people that were riding uh, on their fastest bike, which is hilarious because, well, that also shows you another thing, which is if you're a really fucking good rider, you're going to go really fucking fast on anything that you ride. Yep. Uh, so that, don't ever forget that because uh, I think people pour over these details too much. But the whole thing about this video that I gathered, and they didn't come out and say this. Like, they didn't just say, oh, we hate 27.5 pluses. But most of the riders did not like the 27.5 plus because they said they couldn't get the suspension set right with the actions of the tire being a whole separate thing. They said it felt very bouncy and rubber band-like, and they got a bunch of flats on those particular bikes, and they were all running different tires, mind you. Uh, So... I don't think it was like the fault of one particular tire manufacturer. And uh, Matt and I were discussing earlier on the show before uh, before we were live that what you're trying to do with that three-inch tire 
you're just asking a hell of a lot of it because everybody wants them to be light, of course, because that makes them feel really nice as far as acceleration and all that good stuff. Mm, but then you have super it thin makes time. Them not feel bad. Let's 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 <laughs> let's quantify it that way. It makes it not bad, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you do that, you end up with this weird this weird formula because you've got a whole shitload of contact patch with a whole bunch of traction and you've got a really big rim underneath it which gives i mean in theory good support but then you have these super paper thin sidewalls connecting those two things and that whole thing still wiggles around a lot and weird things happen and there's also a lot of air volume to boot uh so they're just people i know it's a newer bike but a lot of these people on this video had never ridden another particular bike at least ridden it hard so some of these people said hey i've never actually rode a long travel 29 but damn like that thing felt stable, like that kind of stuff. So it was really interesting. And every rider had a different little tidbit, which was kind of cool. Uh, so I highly recommend you watch it. Uh, ben will put the link in the uh, on the page. So definitely watch the video. It's done uh, by Soho Bikes TV. I'm not super familiar with them, but I saw the link a few months ago, I think. And it was uh, it was just a really cool video. You, you can take from it what you want. I don't think it's the end-all, be-all Bible. But the fact that they had some legit, fast, super good riders on it, and they let them kind of do what they wanted to do. And people came up with different conclusions. They were, And the interesting thing was there were some riders. They were the fastest on the long travel 29. Some riders were fastest on the 27 and a half uh, enduro rig. Some people were fastest on the full-blown downhill bike. Um, so that was really interesting. But no one was fastest on the 27.5 I, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't remember the video. I don't think anybody was fastest on the 27 and a half plus. I could be wrong. But by far and away, if you looked at the numbers, almost everybody was super fast and felt super comfortable on the 29 long travel bike. So it's obviously not slow. Uh, and the people really enjoyed the ride characteristics of the 27.5 regular enduro bike because it felt playful and you could jump it and you know all that kind of good stuff, which all makes sense. Uh, and then some people, probably because they had previous experience, were fastest on the full bore downhill bike. Uh, so anyway, really cool video. I think you guys should watch it and just kind of take what you will from it. But I think there's a lot to, I think there's really a lot to learn from it. So, and it just teaches a lot of things that we've all discussed a million times before. And, you know, one of those things is if you're a badass on, if you're a badass, you're a badass. That's what it boils <laughs> down to. So, it, you know, quit, quit pouring over the details so much, ride what you're comfortable on and be a badass. That's what I take from it. So this guy should probably, uh, like at least try and demo a 27.5 plus full suspension bike to make sure that he's not making a mistake by saying that's what he wants. I think people that are looking for an answer, I think therein lies your problem. If somebody is saying, well, I've heard these 27.5 pluses and the full suspension are going to be the new fastest, latest, greatest thing in the world, probably they're not going to be in your case. Uh, I hate to say it, but... Like if you're already slow on one bike, you're still going to be <laughs> kind of slow on the other bike. Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. That's where I want to step in and argue. If you're already fast on a two niner, or you're already fast, let me let me back up. If you're fast on a two point two five to two point four tire, you're going to be disappointed in the three inch tire. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. I don't think the three inch is going to get you that much because I mean we're talking about people that these guys are like winning downhill races and enduro races and stuff. These guys, most of the people on this this particular video are there no slouch when it comes to bikes and very few of them were faster on the, I don't think any of them were faster on the 27 and a half plus. So, and, and I'll butt in here. The, the stash was fun as long as you didn't really want to go fast. The stash was a diesel, but it wasn't snappy. And, you know, after riding the top fuel, and the stash back to back, it was just like, man, sure the stash is okay, but it's not, it's not fast. And and the the last little bit is when you have a three inch tire, it takes a three and a half inch hole to go through. Whereas if you have a two and a quarter tire, it takes a two point seven five hole. And I'm not talking about the hole that swallows the tire. I'm talking about the hole that's required to not run into something. So if you're threading some roots or rocks on the trail and like, you know, in this one corner, there's just like a couple of rocks and you know, there's this one little zigzag line through there. When you go from the 2.4 tire to the three inch tire, 
it takes a bigger hole to fit through. So um, that was something that I ran into is like I felt myself not being able to pick lines. And then I slowed down and realized that the the holes I was visually picking out for my tire to poke through, my tire didn't fit in. So I was like the things I were trying to dodge, I was still hitting because my tire didn't fit where I thought it would. So, yeah, I think know, that's a really good point. Um, and, and to back up to what you said about the wheels, the rims being really wide. Um, I don't think they're super wide. I think they're just wide. They're barely wide enough to be passable is what I would say. No, I think you're exactly right. If you made them any narrower, the problem would be even worse. No, um, no, no. So- that's the, that's what I'm getting at is we're sacker. I think that, that a, a, 60 mil internal is going to ride better on a three inch tire. I think that that 60 ish internal is going to be, or even a true like 55 internal width is going to be like, like spot on. Um, because I'll, I'll stand by the fact that my crest rims, which are 21 internal with cyclocross tires, which are 33 external. That was one of the best setups I've ever written. Yeah, I think I've been doing a lot of noodling on that. And I think somewhere in the ballpark of, I think you need bare minimum uh, 50% of the tire ISO width in internal rim width. I think 50 to 75% and you're going to end up with a really good platform. And that's what I'm saying. That my, my magic number is like a two to three ratio. So it's like 66%. There you go. Um, and I think that that's just, I think we're barely, you know, we're using a 45 internal on a 75 external, you know, and that's just yeah. not quite enough, I don't think. And then Yeah, because, I mean, you know, mid to upper 20s on like a 2.4, that's probably where you need to be, probably more on the upper 20s, um, if not even more. Uh, one of the things, though, and this is a whole other topic, is that tire manufacturers need to make sure that they're designing tires around these wider rims because what can happen is if you take – an old school tire that was really wide, but it was really honestly designed to be on a super narrow rim. When you start mounting it up on a really wide rim, it gets squared off and you lose those nice side knobs that you had before. And you just get a whole shitload of center rolling resistance for no good reason. Oh yeah. Um, one of the guys at the shop just got a set of the flow. Is it Mark three or MK three? Yeah. Oh, cool. I've never, I haven't seen any of those in person yet. Yeah. He got a set of those. And uh, he has, I don't remember which one of the DH uh, tires he has. It's DHR, DHF. And some people do run, even though R stands for rear in that Maxxis tire, um, some people do run that as a front tire. Um, And the Minion SS rear, uh, we measured on his previous rims, which I believe are flows, like the the previous version of the flow. Uh, It was... 53 millimeters wide, like both of them were 53 and change. And then when he went um, to the MK3, um, basically like the previous measurement, the widest part of the tire was the uh, side knob. And on the super wide rim, the widest part of the tire was the casing. Yeah. And he he gained three. I, I don't remember 56 was the exact number, but he basically he gained three millimeters and it came from the casing rather than like the tread. It's like the tread was maxed out on his previous rim and all the wider rim did was uh, make the, the casing wider, which is arguably putting the casing out there for the rocks to scrape on. Yeah. So there's a lot of problems. What it boils down to is the tire manufacturers really need to be more vocal on that. They're designing tires around certain rim widths. I think they need to start publishing that. Obviously that's going to be left up to interpretation and there's always going to be one manufacturer whose sidewalls pooch out more than another's, but it's something to really think about. Um, and when you start putting ultra wide rims on, you know, more traditional 2.2 to 2.4 tires, weird shit can happen. Yeah. So that's a really long answer for, I don't, I don't think any of us here are prepared to tell you which one to buy because I don't think either one of us thinks or any of us think that that bike is awesome. Um, and I'm not to not to poo poo on your parade, but I just don't know that. Go for that 29 inch, not the 27.5 plus. Well, that's yeah, the but thing. I mean, 
just be real with yourself. Um, if you're the kind of person who wants to try the new trend out, I mean, go for it. I don't think it's going to be the worst thing you've ever ridden, but I would don't expect it to be the latest, greatest, fastest, most tractionist, most ripping, gnar shredding bike in the world. I I don't think that's realistic. It's going to um, be new and different. It's new and different, and it's going to have a different ride characteristic, and you might love it. I have no idea, but don't. We're just saying, don't go into it expecting it to be truly at the end of the day faster. Uh, than anything else. And as long as you're real with yourself about that and you want to give an experiment, I'd say go for it. Um, but, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm not super stoked on them. Yeah. And maybe the last thing that Kenny and I talked about before we, we went on air was the, these tires are still too light. You know, you're, you're either using casing and I can talk cross tires here to kind of illustrate the point, but, uh, you're either going to use casing or you're going to use pressure in order to give you the rim to tire stability. So you're going to use a, a race face 35 bar and you're going to use uh, a, a pike fork and you're going to have a boost hub that's super stiff and you're going to have a, a derby carbon rim that's super stiff. And then you're going to run this really thin casing at 12 PSI. So you're going to have this contact patch that glues itself to the ground. The tire is just going to stick to the ground. And then when you push on the bar, the rim is going to flex the tire around. So you're going to have this big disconnect between... Like undampened movement. Yeah, undampened movement in all planes and directions when you are hard on... all. You're making this super stiff system and then you're putting a noodle at the bottom. Um, and this is something that was true about cross before tubeless was really a, a thing is these really supple casing tires, they didn't want to hold air. But then when you put a really thick casing tire on there, it wanted to burp because the tire itself had enough like rigidity to burp the tire. So when these companies are making these super thin tires to be ran sub 20, Part of it is they're trying to keep the weight down. I'm sure part of it is, too, is if they keep bumping the casing stiffness up and making a casing that's more durable and more more like like less noodly, the tire is suddenly going to weigh 1,200 grams, and at 14 PSI, it's going to burp off. I'm, I'm confident in that. Just because the if you can imagine when that contact patch moves, that sidewall is going to be stiff enough that it pulls the bead off the bead hook when it happens. And the way to combat that would be to then run 20 PSI, and then you're just running 1,200-gram tires at 20 PSI trying to keep from burping them, and they'll bounce everywhere. Oh, we could run bead locks. I mean, I think that's a very real thing that can happen. And I think that's fucking awesome. Not the bead lock part. I don't think we're getting bead locks on bikes. <laughs> Only if the bead lock is the rotor. <laughs> If uh, the awesome. beadlock is the rotor, it might work. Oh, it'd be like those Buell sport bikes that had those giant front rotors. It'd be awesome. And then your rotor would be right down there, so when you got a flat, it would just like slam into the ground. And then the rotor would come around and it would rip your caliper off the fork with your like homebrew conversion. Oh, is like, homebrew still a thing? No, but I'm just mean like your homemade like some dude's garage pike conversion that's like a a, a post-mount relocator to use your rim bead lock disc holder. I'm going to get the new homebrew components narrow wide ring. Did they come back? I'm sure. <laughs> he programmed his garage CNC machine to uh, do narrow wide. He actually is doing a narrow medium wide chain ring now. Oh, is he really? He's doing stuff still? No fucking no, way. I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. I'm, I'm actually just like super curious if he's actually doing Are stuff. Hold on, let's see. You probably oh, just okay, fuck. good. Well, no, I, I did. The, the only thing I can find is a Facebook page, and it's last dated 2013. So I think that fucker is out of business. <laughs> we don't have to go into that. People can look up the old threads on MTBR. Yeah, moral of the story is he's a piece of shit. <laughs> All right, well, are we done? I think we are. Um, is there any new shit we probably hate? There's lots of stuff, but I'm, I've 
tried to avoid talking about this because, and we're not going to get into it tonight. They just, so I think next episode, we need to really make it a point. Uh, I really want the three of us to discuss what the, um, the union of REI and salsa means for the bike industry, for the current dealer system and for the potential like future of salsa, if you will. Um, I really want to cover that. Okay. We can talk about it next time. Yeah, that's really it. And I'll throw in my last two cents for Mike from Vegas. Um, I hate to say it. I would love to have a Niner because of the threaded bottom bracket, but I don't think I'll ever own one of those bikes again. I just, I just don't think I can imagine it. So they don't like bike shops. They don't like bike shops at all. And to be honest with you, um, and we here at JRA like to endorse using your bike shop. Yeah. And I mean, uh, just, I don't really know. What was the other bike? I forgot already. It was a Ibis? No. No. Oh, it was a Rocky Mountain. Eh, yeah. There's a lot of extra moving parts there. Honestly, I would probably get a stump jumper. Uh, that's a super simple option. It's a stump fatty. It's got a hidey hole. You could put your like gold chains in there and ride them to the pawn shop before you went to the trail. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, I just wouldn't, I just can't imagine owning a Niner in the future. I mean, Kenny loves his, but he already has it. Real question. Would you buy another one? Uh, you know, that's a really difficult decision. So, I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from and me being a business person, you know, I have a a difficult time with a lot of things that they do. Um, I think they have the capability of making really good bikes and, you know, the end customer doesn't necessarily know all the weird stuff that happens behind the scenes. Um, so, you know, I think if you own one and you enjoy it, I think you should continue riding it is that's really my advice. Um, and you know, if you do, if you do buy one, I do recommend that you really try to buy one from a local bike shop because they're, they're the first line. They're the ones that take the risk and they're the ones that carry the bike and are kind of pressured into buying these things. And then they get blown out on the internet. So and and it's completely out of our control at the local bike shop level. So, you know, if you can, uh, try to find one at a local bike shop. It, it really helps everybody. Oh, God, Kenny, you just gave the boring answer. Someone offers you $12,000 if they can take your Niner and process it through a wood chipper. Sorry, maybe I should buy? maybe I should be in politics. I don't know. But What would you buy? <laughs> You're given twelve grand. You must totally relinquish the existing Niner. Uh, so retail dollars, $12,000, and I can buy whatever I want? Yep. Uh, I would probably buy a Pivot or a Santa Cruz. Oh, yeah, I would do the 429 SL with um, the hydraulic RockShox lockout stuff, like whatever the brand-new, hottest, lightest shit is. Like I would do 429 SL with that uh, hydro lockout. And I'm sure Kenny would get the Fox 34 and XTR Di2. You know it. With Knox sketchy 24-hole front and rear wheels. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would do rear this time because I've done 24 yeah. front now. I haven't had the balls to do the 24 rear, but I think it's time to do it. That's what my, my plan is if I if I get another bike, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll talk more about this in a second. If I get another bike, um, I want to do I-9 pillar carbon wheels, but I want to do the ultralight front and the trail rear rim because they're both 24. Four, well, they're, yeah, they're both 24 hole. And um, the same width. Yeah, they're the, the same width. That's the thing. Like, it's just the rim on the uh, trail rear is a little heavier, um, a little bit more robust because I am uh, kind of hard on rear rims. What I'd really like I 9 to do, me being, so I'm sure I 9 listens and they will they will take my advice and immediately go to R&D and do it. Well, they do listen. Whether or oh, not yeah, they I'm care sure they what do. you say, then, you know. I don't like the 24 hole stuff. I've seen a lot of issues with those. I don't like the whole two spokes on one side, one on another. It makes turning a pain in the fucking ass. And you got super ultra high spoke tension on the side that usually has lower tension. Not super fan of that. If they made a 28-hole aluminum spoke wheel, I think that'd be a really good balance of all those things. 
So it's weird that you've seen issues because usually like if anyone's going to have issues with stuff, I, I kind of like beat the shit out of stuff, but yeah, well, some of, some of them were your wheels. I messed with those first ones and they were kind of, eh, um, yeah, they, they, they had some funky issues. And then, uh, Jeff had a set that since went to another customer and, uh, they had a few issues. So I don't think everybody's going to have an issue, but I just, my two cents is, and again, this is one of those situations where we really love I-9 stuff. I like them as a company. They're really responsive on the phone. Like everything's great. We're just being honest and, you know, people can take that for what it is. I just, just I want to see them. I'm trying to keep it real. You know, it's just my experience, what I've seen. I don't think every single one of the 24 holes is failing. Uh, absolutely not. But I would love to see just a more traditional left, right, you know, even distribution of left, right spokes all the way around 28 hole straight laced aluminum spoke, just their traditional, what you think of the, that, that factory, all aluminum I nine build as far as aluminum hub, aluminum spokes and all that with carbon rim hoops or whatever the hell you want. But anyway, 28 hole, I think that would be awesome. And, you know, maybe, maybe use slightly lighter weight spokes. I don't know. Maybe they've tried all this stuff and it just doesn't work. Uh, but I would just like to see as a mechanic, I'd really like to see some lighter weight 28 hole offerings. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, so speaking of, uh, of industry nine and whatnot, my four, two, nine SL and my future plans, you know, whatever my four, two, nine SL it's a XX one industry nine trail, 24 wheels. It's a size small, um, pike fork, uh, race face, 35 bar stem XTR brakes. Um, super, super nice bike. Um, if you're listening to this, I will ship it to you for $4,500 if you would like to buy it. Um, so get at me, uh, Andrea at mountainbikeradio.com. Um, yeah. Are those aluminum or carbon wheels? They are the Trail 24 aluminum rims, or wheels. The rear one does have a dent or two, um, two dents. I sent a picture of it to um, one of the guys at I-9. And he said that rim has a lot of life left in it. Tell them, you know, it's, I forgot how much he said it would cost to replace it. It's not terrible. Um, it's not he, terrible. I got a quote on that for a customer the other day, and it's not that bad. Yeah, but he's like, <laughs> but tell them to just keep riding it because it has a lot of life left. Like, it's just some cosmetic dents. It's nothing, you know, it holds air. It rides really well. It's, you know, it's pretty true. Um, it's it's great. Um, it's an awesome bike, but I just... Uh, you know, I have like new bike itis, so I want to get something different and it's for sale. So email me if you want to buy it. All right. Awesome. That's it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, um, I don't know. Fuck off. No, just, <laughs> Oh no, we need to end the show on more steel Panther. I think no, no more steel Panther, no more steel Panther. Dude, don't ever say that again, dude. That's a little, I'm going to take Indy Steel outside. Panther is even a little much for me. <laughs> if you missed last week's episode, look up Steel Panther Glory Hole and uh, watch the video in full. Well, no, I'm not telling people to watch the video. That's actually pretty disturbing. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just talking about listening to the music. No. Uh, but if you do want to be scared, I don't recommend watching it at work. Uh, but you can use your imagination. The uh, music video that accompanies Glory Hole is extraordinarily graphic. And I'm actually shocked. I was I was about halfway through watching it on YouTube, and I'm thinking, how the fuck is this on YouTube? <laughs> uh, but apparently you can do that, and it's okay. Welcome to 2016. Yeah. All right, thanks for listening. Until next time, uh, I don't know, don't shoot your eye out. <laughs> At the glory hole. Oh. Thank you for listening, and thank you to the sponsor of this episode, Podiumware. Go over to podiumware.com to find out more information.